I was just like, I've had enough. I'm done. I was like, God, either if this is who you are, like, and this, if this is your true church, like, I guess I'm done. Like I've, I've tried and I can't do it anymore. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed podcast and YouTube channel. I'm your host, Michaela Nikolenko, and I started this show after finally finding my home in Christ. I grew up in a home with lots of abuse and addiction where Christianity became something that repelled me. I spent my early adulthood seeking God in other religions, tarot cards, psychedelics, and even myself. I didn't realize how much hell I had pulled up into my life until I came face to face with the dark side of the spirit world and Jesus fought hard to save me. Now I live to serve his will and host a platform where others can share their story too. If you're looking for a show that talks about real things and provides encouragement for those who have been to the dark side and back, this is the show for you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this show with anyone that you feel might be encouraged by it too. Quick disclaimer, what we can agree on here is that we love Jesus and he is our Lord and Savior. I don't filter what my guests say, so there will most likely be something along the way that you don't agree with, and that's okay. I highly recommend spending time researching and praying about anything that gets said that might trouble you. With all that said, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed family. Hi everyone, today I have a very special guest named Monica Warren. Well, I met on Christian TikTok as she is out here spreading the good news of the gospel and sharing her testimony of coming to Christ after growing up in a Mormon family. Today, we not only learn some interesting things about what the Mormon church believes in, but we also get to hear Monica's story of growing exhausted, trying to live righteously and be worthy enough of God's love to finally leaving the church and replacing God with the gym in her own abilities once again, to finally being called to read the Bible and really understand God's word and Jesus's love for her after a couple of prayers answered and miraculous healings of her children. Without further ado, let's get on to the episode. Okay, good morning, Monica. Thank you so much for being on Raised and Redeemed today. Um, I found you on TikTok where you are beautifully sharing your testimony all the time. Uh, you grew up Mormon, and, and it looks like became agnostic after that, and now you're a born-again Christian, so I'm really excited to to talk to you today and just hear a little bit more about your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, um, and I really appreciate that you're using your life, your voice, to create a platform to glorify the Lord, and so I'm really excited. This is the first time I will have shared my full story on a podcast. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. Yeah, that's exciting. Thank you for trusting me and, and for trusting this this podcast to be the first place that you tell it. Um, so to just kind of jump in, I want to hear, you know, starting back at the beginning. Uh, so your family was Mormon, right? Yes. So my mom was converted by the missionaries. Uh, she's originally from Mexico. And so the Mormon missionaries went to Mexico there, converted um, her family as she was a child. So she was converted into the Mormon faith. Um, and then she went to the main BYU university in Utah. Um, so she got her citizenship and came to school in the U.S. And that's where she met my dad at BYU. And my dad is 
true blue Mormon. Um, he has ancestry that goes back to the original time of Joseph Smith. So we have a descendant that was closely connected to the prophet and um, you can look him up on the website and he's there. So that was like a real point of pride in our family was that like we were connected even in a way to the prophet. Um, and so I was the firstborn of my family. So I was born in Utah, my parents' senior year of BYU. And then they were both teachers and got teaching jobs in California. So I was raised in California. Um, but I remember we just did all the quintessential Mormon things. I was baptized at eight years old. Um, and that's primarily the age that you're told to get baptized because they believe that's the age of accountability. Mm. They believe that you receive the Holy Ghost when you get baptized. And so until then, you are not accountable for your sins. But then after you get baptized and now you have the Holy Ghost, now you're accountable for any sins after that. So there, as, even as I've learned now what baptism means and what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what authority sin has in our lives now as a Christian is so vastly different than the understanding I had when I was Mormon. And so um, within that, I also was a, um, and I did like the girls camp thing where we go out and trek like pioneers and like pull the wagons and we yeah, like went to Pioneer Day and like my mom would dress us up as little pioneers and I was in like church plays and like sang songs in sacrament meeting and did all of the things, was in it. Um, and then when I was 12, 13 years old, my parents got a divorce and that was really a big shifting point in our family because in the Mormon religion, um, family is mm -hmm. everything. Um, and I want to, and I want to preface my, my story and my testimony by saying that I, I'm not intending to disrespect, um, anyone who is in the church and the, the sincerity of their hearts. Yeah. Um, because I do believe that many of them genuinely have a love for, the Lord, but their understanding and what the gospel is, is displaced because it's been given to them in a, in a different lens. And so, um, anything I say, if, if there's anyone who's listening, who's Mormon is not meant to be, um, any type of an attack, but just what the Lord has shown me is truth and how the truth was manipulated through the lens of, of the Mormon church. Yeah, yeah. Going back just a little bit, how did did your mom ever say how they were able to convert her? Was she was she a like a Christian Catholic before they converted her, or how did that? Uh, yeah, she she was raised Catholic. Uh, they weren't hardcore Catholic, but I think that's predominantly the religion that people in Mexico just fall into, so to say, and. Um, so, but from my understanding and what she shared with me, um, they weren't necessarily strong, devout Catholics, um, mm -hmm. but they became, it was, I think it was mostly her mom 
um, really became strong in the Mormon faith. And my mom, I think, especially when it came to some of the things that I think are taught later on as you go up through the levels in adulthood through the doctrine, now started to not agree with things. Um, but she never shared any of that stuff with us when we were kids because she didn't want to kind of during this time of our lives where like our family was now our family dynamic was changed. Um, she didn't do anything to like tear something else out of our lives that was familiar to us. Yeah. So my dad, she is no longer, um, in the Mormon church and she left after, uh, my dad got hurt. She and my dad got divorced. Um, my dad is still in the Mormon church and praying for him. Um, and a lot of my family are still very, very strong in the Mormon church. So I still even personally have a lot of connections within my family to the Mormon church. Um, but I think because family is the one thing that is, I guess, targeted differently to people. Because the missionaries, what they will do is is they will tell people that they can be with their families for all time and eternity, um, but that it's only through the LDS, you know, church and going through the temple um, and that they're the only ones who have the priesthood authority to baptize people. And then once you go through the temple that you can be sealed to your children and your spouse. into eternity. And so you have to go to the temple, um, which is a main, main focus. And that's, if you're in the Mormon faith, like your entire goal in life is to go to the temple, to be worthy enough to receive the ordinances and covenants and make those to God. And that is what allows you to be with your family forever. And I didn't have the understanding that the gospel is is so different and that anyone who is already a believer is going to be with their family if they are believers as well and so it if anything the the LDS church creates more division among families because they also say that there's three levels of heaven mm-hmm. and so only within the Mormon church can you go to the top level of heaven which is called the celestial kingdom mm-hmm. and so unless you are uh, baptized by the laying hands of people or men who only men can have the priesthood that unless you're baptized through their church and unless you have been sealed through the temple, you cannot go to the celestial kingdom. And so say that you have a spouse who, who decides to leave the church um, your spouse will not be with you in the celestial kingdom. Or if you have children who leave the church, they will not be with you in the celestial kingdom. They'll be in one of the lower heavens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the way that they say it is, is like, if you're at the celestial kingdom, you can go down. They try to say like, oh, well, you can still visit them. Um, okay. So yeah. from this perspective, your dad is probably like stressed out for you then, right? Like if he believes this. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's really hard talking to my dad. I think about these kinds of things. Uh, like I'll, I'll share later on the one time I did really try to have a conversation when I was born again and, and bringing up some of these things. 
Um, it did not really go well. So, but we, we've, we've made peace and I just continue to pray that the Lord gives him eyes to see things for, for how they are and to receive the truth. But yeah, so this was my understanding that the, the gospel is all about your, your family, about going to heaven, to be with your family for all time and eternity. And that you have to be worthy enough to go to the temple. And I really struggled with the idea of going to the temple. Also, number one, because uh, part of that is you have to wear these these garments. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've heard about that or not. Um, I've heard about and I, it, but if you would tell us. Yeah, and I'd seen my, you know, of course, like I'd seen what they'd look like. Um, and I was like, you have to wear those every day. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Every day or just when you go to the temple? No, every day. You're supposed to wear them under your clothes every day as um, like a constant reminder of your covenants. Okay. And so um, so I, I wasn't necessarily drawn into excitement about that aspect. And then also they never tell you what you actually do in the temple or what it is that you're necessarily covenanting. Um, they give you a general, a general idea, but I just did not, there was something in my spirit that it was like, everything in my religion is telling me that this is the main goal basically in life. And so why do I not feel like excited about it? And I, and I couldn't put my finger on it then, but I, I now know, and I thank the Lord, that that I didn't ever go through the temple, but I did have the aspiration to get married within the church and to raise my family in the church. Because the other thing that the church tells you, um, and this goes back to the original prophet Joseph Smith, is how the origin story of how the Mormon Church even came to be was that Joseph Smith, when he was a young boy. Uh, was wondering which church to go to, you know, should he join the the Methodists, the Protestants, Lutherans, whatever. And so he went into a grove. And that, this is the thing. There's also three different versions of what they would call the first vision. So I encourage anyone who hasn't heard that there's actually more than one version of Joseph Smith's first vision to go research that. But the official one that the church uses is that he went into a grove of trees to pray and that when he did that, Jesus and Heavenly Father um, as two personages, so people with bodies, mm-hmm. came to told him to not join any of the churches for none of them were true and all of their creeds and professors and doctrines were an abomination um, and that they were near to God in their mouths, but their hearts were far from them. So basically like all of the churches were corrupt. The, the gospel was no longer really truthfully living on the earth and there was no power in it. And so he was, Joseph Smith was being called to restore the gospel and the church in that um, an angel was going to give him another book in the form of gold plates to translate another record of people that were actually Jews that came to the Americas and that Jesus Christ visited. And there's a whole other, basically like many 
New Testament called. So that's why they have the Book of Mormon, which they say is another testament of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, this and is so, so much information like my brain. OK, because I didn't grow up hearing this information. So I, I imagine myself and maybe some of the listeners are like our brains are exploding with. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm if, if a question pops up, feel free to ask me. Um, I'm by no means a like theological expert on all things Mormonism, but I definitely like once God saved me and opened my eyes, he showed me how much truth and um, information there was about the Mormon church that I was not given when I was actually in the Mormon church. So it was like, I had an understanding of what Mormonism was growing up. And, and then when the Lord brought me out of it, he showed me how there's all this other information that was not taught to me mm-hmm. that is there. It's within the church. Um, but it's just not explicitly and blatantly taught even to its own members. Yeah. So, so you might not be a theologian, but you have this direct personal experience and mm-hmm. I think that can sometimes be even more impactful for for people to hear. Um, So I am excited to hear how God did bring you out of that. I did have one question Uh um, about the, okay, so the plates, uh, Uh the gold plates or something, you said that they came from where? So they were, and it's also funny, like Joseph Smith just happened to be in the same area that these plates were hidden in the ground. And so he said an angel told him where they were. He dug them up, but only he was allowed to see them. And the record is, is that a few other witnesses, uh, some men that helped him in the translation process of it saw them, but then there's other uh, records out there that say, well, they didn't actually see them with their physical eyes. They saw them in a vision with their spiritual eyes. So they never actually saw the physical plates. Okay. And then the, also the, the other funny thing is, is that then the angel took the plates up to heaven. Mm-hmm. And so there's no actual information that like the plates were ever real um, in a tangible, tangible, like archaeological sense, whereas like we still have original Greek new manuscript testaments that we have in antiquity that historians can go back, like actually have and see to to tell us like what the original record has said. Um you can't do that with the Book of Mormon because it's the original, you know, manuscripts, so to speak, on these gold plates are now in heaven. So there's no way to authenticate if even if it was true, if what was actually said in there is from the original translation and such and such, like we can with the Bible. Yeah. And the other thing going up in Mormonism is that uh, I did not necessarily put a lot of stock in the truth and authenticity of the Bible because we were taught that the Bible has been um, mistranslated so many times and that there were parts in it that were taken away and parts in it that were added. And so, um, one of, and they have these kind of like bullet point statements of faith that they call the articles of faith. Um, and one of the articles of faith is they say, we believe the book of Mormon to be the word of God. 
and we also believe the Bible to be the word of God, but then they put the stipulation as far as it is translated correctly. Mm. But the thing is, is they never actually tell you what are the parts that are mistranslated and which are the parts that have been kept pure. So it's just this big general confusion. Yeah. Confusion. Yeah. And what I, I've basically picked up is that anything that contradicts the Mormon belief system and uh, their, their canon within Mormonism, those are the parts that have been mistranslated and those are the parts that are wrong. And anything that backs up Mormonism, those are the parts that are true. Yeah, yeah. If you're in a relationship and trying to figure out if he's the one, or maybe you're recently single and taking a step back to figure out how to best go about finding the one, I have the ebook for you. Head over to the link in my bio or in the comment section from wherever you're listening to find my latest ebook, How to Know If He's the One. In this ebook, I share the worst of my relational mistakes and how Jesus finally showed me there was a better way. Gradually, he began to mend my heart, and I know he will do the same for you too. So I've, um, the first time I ever saw a Mormon, just to tell you my personal experience, I was 16, I think. And I had just moved in with my aunt in a different town, about 45 minutes away from where I grew up. Um, and they came, it was like this whole group of them. Um, and I was a waitress and I had just had like a really demonic dream the night before. And so I was terrified. I was, and I didn't grow up in a, in a home that really like talked about God or like could provide me any sort of like spiritual comfort or prayer or anything. So I was like a ticking time bomb to like explode at the first person that asked me what was wrong. And they asked me if they could pray for me and they're in all these white shirts. And here I am, like, I think they're Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I tell them what happened and they were like, they asked if they could come to my home to like get the demon to go away. And I was like, my aunt is going to think that's super weird. (laughs) So no. And so I ended up going to their church where they met me, like this whole group of them. And they had me sit in the middle of the room um, and they all laid hands on me and mm-hmm. and said this prayer and they gave me their Book of Mormon. Um, so real quick. So did the plates, are the plates supposedly what became the Book of Mormon? Yes. Okay. Yes. They also have two other books. Um, they have what's called the Doctrine and Covenants. And that is basically Joseph Smith's revelations from God as he really got established as a prophet. And what's interesting is that if you read the Book of Mormon, and this is why they'll use the Book of Mormon um, kind of as like their their poster book for what they believe. But when you read the Book of Mormon and then you read the Doctrine and Covenants, they are so different in what they're saying is the truth and what is like the foundation of what you need to do to be reconciled to God. Um, and the book of Mormon has a lot more of a biblical sound and, and Joseph Smith actually took parts of the Bible and put them into the book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. And we know that true because, uh, he would have had the, um, the, the 1600 version of the King James Bible at that time with him. 
And the same translation errors that are in that version of the Bible are in the Book of Mormon, which is interesting because the King James Bible wasn't around during the supposed time of these people that are these ancient descendants in the Book of Mormon. So how are these translations? And if this was an original um, historical document of these people and Joseph Smith was translating it by the power of God, then that tr the translation into the Book of Mormon would not have had any type of influence from a 1600 King James Version. So there shouldn't have been any type of translation um, crossover uh, errors in the Book of Mormon. Um, so that was another interesting thing that I learned. Um, but the Book of Mormon does definitely have a lot of parts of the Bible in it. And it will either just change the context of it. And so it's really interesting, especially from the book of Isaiah. There's a lot of parts from the book of Isaiah in the book of Mormon, um, but not through the prophet Isaiah. And so they like there's a lot with coming from. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of things that sound biblical and sound Christian. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of things in there that are like reaffirming of, of Jesus and of faith and of righteousness and of prayer and all of these things. And so, um, it, it wouldn't be something that like, if you weren't really biblically literate and, and Holy spirit filled that you would see as it being, you know, wrong in any type of way. And it would be very easy to believe that like, oh yeah, this is another Testament of Jesus. And it'd be easy to, especially if you don't really know a lot about the history of the, the Jewish Bible and the, the actual storylines of, of the books that are in the Bible and what those books mean in, right. in the city of the Bible. Yeah, that makes, that makes complete sense. Um, and so I had never, I had never read the Book of Mormon, um, but then I, well, and what I do kind of want to ask you about though, is I never saw that demon again after they laid hands on me. So that kind of made me think like, okay, maybe like Mormons do know something, but I did not go and like try to become a Mormon after that. And I didn't end up encountering them. I did encounter them a little bit um, in college, but I just kind of blew them off. And then I encountered them again in Arizona. After I saw a demon again, I ended up, I was seeking truth. I went to the Catholic church. I went to the Mormons. I went to Christian church. I went, you know, I went everywhere. And I sat down with a group of missionaries, you know, the three guys. I don't know if that's like protocol or whatever, but they were trying to appeal to me based on the Bible. But it seems like they know a specific couple of verses from the Bible, but they don't, like you said, they're not encouraged to really like dive deep into the Bible and understand the lineage and the history and who's speaking. But they did cite one verse about how like God has other sheep out there. Um, and so they considered themselves or like the Mormon, the Mormon church as one of the other flocks of sheep um, that God has out there that we are supposed to like accept as brothers and sisters. Um, so I don't know if you know that verse that I'm talking about. He, yeah, he says, um, like, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Yeah. And probably the one that they were telling you. Um, 
And you actually just reminded me uh, to come back to this point. So as a child, um, and this is something I haven't really even shared or dived into on my my TikTok platforms, um, but it's something I want to talk about because it it was a crucial part of how the Lord saved me um, later on as an adult for about four years ago. So as a child, I actually had demonic experiences and encounters. I didn't know that necessarily that's what it was mm-hmm. um, because in the, in the Mormon church, they don't talk about demons. I don't think like they even really said the word demons. They believe that there was what's called the pre-existence. And so before we came to earth, we pre-existed as literal children of heavenly father. And this is not something that was necessarily talked about growing up. Cause it was like, don't talk about heavenly mother. Now they kind of, I feel like are shifting into being a little bit more open in the dialogue about heavenly mother, but they do believe like, that's why they, they call him heavenly father because they believe like he is literally the father of our mm-hmm. spirit that like, he and heavenly mother conceived us because they both have bodies. And that's the main thing is they don't agree with the triune concept about God and that God, the father is a spirit. They believe that God, the father is a completely different person than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the literal firstborn son that he and heavenly mother had. And then he also had Lucifer, who is Satan. So Jesus and Satan are brothers. Oh my God. You know? yeah, like, just like you and I have siblings, yeah. you know, from our parents, it was the same thing that they believe in this concept of the pre existence. So that, like, everybody on earth, um, they are literal spirit children of heavenly parents. And so Jesus Christ is our literal brother. And Basically, Heavenly Father has a body of flesh and bone, um, and we all wanted to have bodies too. We were we were spiritual beings, but we didn't have bodies. And I don't like looking back at it now. I don't understand like why this is such a good thing because I'm like I would much rather be a, like a spiritual being, not limited by the constraints of a physical body or like you know no. having a body. Is, it, you experience in this life is not. Like not as good as like spiritual. I'm so glad you brought this up. And okay. So you're saying how uh, they're focusing more on the heavenly mother nowadays. And I just can't help but wonder if that's because it appeals to a lot of the more like feminist mindset people who have rejected the church and ended up towards new age um, and how they're it's, Because for me, when I ended up at the Mormon church, I was fresh out of the new age. And I, a big part of the reason I left the church is because I wanted to know if there was a great mother and if there were aliens and like all this stuff. I had all these questions and I rejected God trying to go out and find these things. Ended up, that's how I ended up experiencing very demonic beings. Um, God tried to give me a way out. And I was like, no, I need to know if there's a great mother. I need to know about the aliens. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And And so in that, I remember when I sat down with these three missionaries in the room, 
I asked them about the great mother and, and they were like, yes, there is one. And I was like, well, why don't we know about her? And they were like, because think about how much we blaspheme God's name. He didn't want us to do that to his wife. So he's kept her really secret. And I was thinking too, like how, okay, so I heard this podcast. I can't remember if it was on the cultist show or if it was on Sheila Zelinsky's podcast. It was one of the two where they were, it was interviewing somebody who's done a deep dive into Mormonism, studying Mormonism and the very direct correlation between occultism and Mormonism. I don't yeah. know touch on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll touch on that later when I, when I talk about how God opened my eyes. Um, but just going back to like me being a kid. So I was having from like as the earliest ages that I can remember are like six and seven years old um, that I would be in my room and I would see like shadow like beings. just like walking around in my room, not necessarily engaging with me, but they were there. And it was, and like, I'm a child and and my parents, you know, within the the Mormon faith, uh, everything is very like cookie cutter. And um, like, we didn't even have video games. We mostly watched like educational cartoons and TV, um, you know, no like they, a big role was like, no, like PG 13 or rated R movies. Um, so like we only watched and like they, we watched, uh, like cartoons about the book of Mormon. And so Mm -hmm. like, there wasn't anything on the exterior that would have been like exposure for me to then like in my mind, make these things up. Like I, we didn't watch scary. Okay. Uh, So it wasn't even like I had these images to kind of subconsciously then project in my imagination, which is why it was so scary for me. Um, And then I also remember like I would have sleep paralysis. I didn't know that that's what it was at the time. Um, And I think I even as a kid was lucid dreaming without knowing it or without like making myself do it. But I think that there's probably something in my family lineage where, because it does have like occultic roots um, and backgrounds in its origin, I, and I don't know for sure, but what I think is that there was somebody in my family lineage that, that knew how to do these things, um, knew how to access the spirit realm and was doing it, was able to, you know, lucid dream or astral project and, for some reason, like that I'm the firstborn in my top, in my family. And I know like the Bible, it says things about the, the firstborn in our families, uh, being, you know, given to God. And so I think the devil goes after the firstborn of every family. And, um, so I think that that's maybe one of the reasons why I had these experiences. Um, because it feels so hard as a fellow firstborn, because I'm, Feeling you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's there's these generational doors that get opened and, and have access into our lives um until we know our authority in Christ to take those things down basically in the name of Jesus and break those ties and those curses and those connections. Mm-hmm. And 
but as a kid, you know, I didn't have any understanding of this. So um, I, I had very, very vivid dreams. And then I also had sleep paralysis to where I, I wouldn't even be asleep yet. But then I like would just have fear come over me. Um, and it wasn't like I saw anything in that moment, but there was like a weight and a pressure and it felt like I was falling. Like I just jumped out of an airplane and was free falling through the air. So if you can just imagine like the pressure that you would feel as you're like free falling, that's what it felt. But I'm just laying in my bed. I can't move. I can't speak. Um, all I feel is fear and I feel like I'm free falling and there's like the, the weight and the pressure of all of the air pushing me down. And I would have this happen to me multiple times as a kid. And then I also would have this very demonic dream. And I, it was different than any other type of dream because it would happen. It would come yearly. And, um, it would always start out the exact same way. And I've never had dreams like this. This is the only dream that I've ever had like this. And it would have, um, the exact same beginning. There would literally no details would change. And so it would start out the exact same way and it would move and progress and progress. And then I would wake up. Um, basically in this dream, I, and this is crazy too, because the demon that I saw, I'd never seen anything like it. Um, like through TV or like I said, we were, we were very kind of sheltered from, uh, anything that would have been considered demonic growing up. Um, so to see something like this in my dreams was horrifying. And it was this huge, dark black demon. It was like a beast and it had like the Rams, the Rams horns that came out and giant red eyes. And the way that the dream would start is I was in this really weird building. So it was just this tall square building and it didn't have any walls surrounding it, but it had this staircase leading up to a ceiling. And so, um, so you could see the staircase cause there weren't any walls. And then there was a ceiling and I'm on top of the roof and there are some other people with me, like a handful of people with me that I don't know. Um, but we're all standing on the top of this roof and we're in this like giant valley with, that's all grass and then some trees. And then on the other side of this valley, there's a road and across the, from the road, there's a city. Um, and so me and these people are on the top of this roof in this valley and the demon is standing right in front of the building and I'm looking down and it's looking right up at me. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's about to like somehow in my dream, I know it's about to come up the stairs and there's only one way up and one way down in this building. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I tell the people that are with me that we have to get down and try to run and, and make it to the city to find somewhere to hide. Otherwise, this demon is going to get us. And so that's what we do. Like I lead these people down the staircase and we all start running as fast as we can. And the only place to kind of hide as we're running um, is behind these huge trees. and. <laughs> So like one by one, we're like running and then we tried to like split up and hide behind these trees and the demon is getting people. 
one by one until like I'm the last one left. And I have ran, um, and I'm just telling the dream that I've had like in its entirety. So I would have like a little bit and then it would stop. But so I'm not going to talk about like where it stopped. I'm just going to continue to tell it in the flow that I had it up to where it stopped. And so finally I have ran all the way across this valley and hidden from the demon to where it hasn't gotten me, but it's gotten everybody else. And I'm the last one left. And so I run across, uh, into this city and I'm running and I'm running and I'm looking for somewhere to hide. And I, and the demon is right after me. And then I see this giant, like old cathedral type of church in my dream. And it's not a church. And we never went to any other churches growing up. We only went to the Mormon church. But in my dream, I'm in this like ancient church, like Mm -hmm. one from antiquity. And I run inside there. And as I run inside, I, I look up and there are like these, these staircases that you can go up and there are there's like a little ceiling level almost where there are um, some giant statues and like some of them looked like angels. And then I think some other ones looked like maybe they were other uh, prophets. And then there was one that was Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I run into this church and I, I'm like, I need to hide behind one of these statues because uh, otherwise it's just, you know, an open floor in the middle, like with chairs and stuff. So I need to find somewhere like more hidden to hide. And I, so I climb up to this other lo- level where these statues are and I go and I hide behind the statue of Jesus. And then where the dream that I last had ended. So the doors of the church like open up. And this demon is standing right there. Um, but it's like he can't come inside the building. And I and I'm like peering out to look. And he so he sees and he he knows where I'm hiding and he's looking at me, but it's like he can't come inside. And then that's where I last had the dream when I was like wow. seven seven years, which is crazy too, because I've never remembered anything from my childhood this vividly as I, as I had this dream, like that's how much of an impact it had on me to where I can still remember every single little detail of this dream. And so that's where it last ended. And I like woke up from that last part, still terrified. And I never told my parents, never told anybody in church about what was going on with me. And even like, I was so terrified of the dark, um, because I would see these things that I put a nightlight in my room. It's so crazy, because some dreams, like, you know, the difference between a dream and when you like had a supernatural spiritual encounter. Like you said, like, like this dream has I don't know how old you are now. But like this dream has lasted with you all these years. And that's how you like you can kind of distinguish that like some dreams are just bad dreams and other dreams like you know like you were encountering something very supernatural and it it sounds like this is one of them so i'm excited like did this kind of um lead to you pursuing jesus more or, or what sort of mm-hmm. happened 
for that. So yes and no. And then definitely yes later on in my adult years. But like as a kid, I didn't know what to do with this. And when I got baptized when I was eight years old, for some reason, kind of like you said, when when they prayed for you, like you didn't see that demon again until like later. later. So when I was baptized at eight, I didn't have the dream after that. Like any of the years that followed, I stopped having the dream and I like stopped seeing necessarily what I was seeing. Oh, I was also going to say like one more story about what happened in my room. Like one night when I was on the bottom bunk and like I had the nightlight on and I was like starting to fall asleep and there were some toys that were on the floor. Um, and all of a sudden, like I'm about to fall asleep and then I hear this music playing and I wake up like startled. I'm like, where's this? It's like a lullaby type of music. And I'm like, where's this music coming from? And I look on the floor. There was a like Barbie baby doll crib that if you would wind it up on the bottom, it would play a lullaby. And so, so I get up, I twist the dial so that it's all the way off. And I just put it back on the floor and I get back into bed. And like five seconds later, it winds up and starts playing the music again. And I, at that point, like I was terrified. And I, so I pick up all the toys that are on the floor and my dad had converted our garage into like a giant playroom. Um, so I got all the toys that were on the floor. I went into the playroom in our garage and like, we had a big closet back there and I like threw all the toys in the back of the closet. Um, and so the, and like, there was, there were just these horrifying, like, hauntings that were happening to me as a kid um, that I didn't know how to make sense of. One of the things in the Mormon church is that was taught to me, at least growing up, is that when you sin, the Holy Spirit leaves you. And so that's why being righteous and being obedient and doing all the right things and following the prophet and following the commandments and basically being as like pure and righteous as you can be is necessary because if you sin, then the Holy Spirit leaves you and basically like you're open for attack from the devil. And so the way that I kind of correlated this in my mind as a kid is like, I must be doing something wrong to be getting attacked by the devil, basically. Um, and and I just didn't understand because I'm like, what am I doing? And I would like stay up all night praying to Heavenly Father and like praying that this would stop and praying that these dreams would go away, praying that like these paranormal, horrible, terrible things that were so scary for me as a kid would stop. And I'd be praying all the time and like trying to find out like, where, like, where do I need to repent? What am I doing wrong? Um, cause I was like, obviously I'm not protected. And so like, I must be the reason why, like, cause if I wasn't sinning, then, then these things wouldn't be able to happen to me. Do you think Um, there's any validity in that? No, not, not with the understanding I have now, because we know that like, when you have the Holy Spirit, like your the Holy Spirit is your advocate, and the Holy Spirit um, convicts of sin, uh, but you are never 
condemned in Christ. And I felt so much condemnation growing up in, in the church. And I know that like the, the Holy spirit is more powerful than any demonic spirit. And so even if, if there is a demonic spirit present, the Holy Spirit's not going to run away and, and leave you in, in the time of need that you need him most. I guess my confusion with it is when I experienced demonic things later on in life, it really was because I had I had opened portals in my sin, but I was not in Christ at that point. I was I was dead in my sin. I, that was when I was deep in new age. Um, and so I played with all the devil's devices, yeah, yeah. ate off his table, and I did create those legal contracts with the demonic realm for them to be able to mess with me. But that is a little different than when you are in the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. uh, because at that point I wasn't. But I think I even now, like as a believer, as somebody who knows and who has been saved and has encountered Jesus, like I still have that fear sometimes that like, if I fall short or something that God is going to look away because I've definitely read that in scripture. So I, I am interested to hear more like about your perspective on that. Yeah. And so what I would say to that is, um, I think a lot of people take the verse where it says that like no unclean thing can be in the presence of the Lord. And that like, he doesn't, he doesn't want to basically have our sin before him. But the thing is, is that the Bible also tells us that when you are are born again, that you are now granted the righteousness of Christ and that you are justified before God um, because of him. So being justified in the Lord is being seen by God just as if I had never sinned. And even when I do fall short, it says, I was actually just reading in the Psalms um, the other day that like he, he looks upon us with loving mercy and kindness because he knows our form and he does not hold our sins against us in the sense that like he knows the fragility of like our human state to constantly fall short in our flesh. Um, and because he knows our form, he's gracious to us and his uh, mercy is is long lasting. But in Jesus, and this is the other thing that I've learned as an adult, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mm-hmm. mind. And the only thing that basically as a believer that the devil can try to tempt you with is fear. Mm-hmm. Even fear as a believer of like, am I actually saved? Like, am I this or blah, blah, blah. Like now am I a good enough Christian before the Lord? When if it was about you, then you would have something to merit before God where it's like, no, you are hidden in Christ. You are the righteousness of Christ. He has clothed you in a robe that covers you in the blood of Jesus. And so you are, you're not expected to be Jesus now, uh, yeah. who is, who walked, perfectly and sinlessly and blamelessly all the days of his life before the Lord while he was on the earth. Um, But what it means is now you have the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit living within you to have reign and dominion over sin like you did not have before. And as you grow and, and become more sanctified in your understanding and in like putting on the mind of Christ and renewing yourself in the word, 
you grow in the in that strength and you start to understand like what does the armor of god actually mean to protect me against the the snares of the enemy um but that like you've been given all authority in christ to trample on scorpions and mm-hmm. to defeat evil and and sin and death because of jesus not because of you but because of jesus yeah and if, if we are, if we just confess our sins before him he is faithful and just to forgive us and so if and when we fall short and we sin, we just confess to Christ instead of agreeing with that fear that the enemy is going to speak to us to say, oh, see, now, now you're not covered. Now I can get you. It's like, no, because I, I know that my father has me. And because of what Jesus did for me, like I have a repentant heart before him. I come to him, I confess my sins and I give, I ask for his strength to renew my mind. And I, I canceled the dominion that this has. I don't agree with the belief that, that I am now this because I, I sinned today. No, like mm-hmm. don't speak to yourself that way and don't confess things um, that the enemy wants you to agree with. And he uses fear to do that. And so God has not given you a spirit of fear, like only fear the Lord, your God. And you know what, what he's done for you, what he has plucked you out of. And so if he has done that, um, I love that it says that no one can even come to the father unless the Holy spirit has drawn him. And so if God has done that and you know that always stand by that and remember that no one can pluck you out of the father's hands mm-hmm. and you are already with Christ in heavenly places. So in your spirit, you are already seated with him in heavenly places. The devil is still going to try to, to get you, to believe that you're not and use fear to do that, even as a Christian, um, to try to weaken you. But what I've, what he's really taught me and is showing me a lot more is how much authority and dominion we have over the spirit of fear to have power, the power that, that Jesus walked in and he was trying to teach other people to walk in that power. Yeah. And it all starts with the mind and, and what you believe and confess with your mouth because the power of life and death is in the tongue. Mm -hmm. And so as you really start to read the scriptures with this lens and this understanding, you see that, that the reason why God told us not to do certain things is because there are things that we can do that will allow the devil and demons legal right and access to our lives to now start to afflict us. And so when God tells us don't do this or don't do that or, or do this, Um, it's because he wants to keep us safe and guard us from the enemy who hates us and wants to afflict us and destroy our lives and bring, you know, sorrow and anxiety and bitterness and depression and trauma and all of these things. Um, and so the Lord does give us guidelines for our betterment and for our protection, but he gives us power and he gives it to us in his love and the ability to then express his love to others in the way that Jesus did, which I think is like the most powerful thing that you will see. And that's why he said, you will know my disciples by how you love one another. So if you've loved me now go and love one another, because it's the love of Jesus that truly changes and transforms people's lives. Mm -hmm. And so like, this is my word to, to Christians, to believers who have not completely sold out for Jesus but want to be there, just continue to to confess that to the Lord um, and to tell him to show you what it is in your life that that you need to 
repent from that agreement or that belief or that mindset about him or about yourself and for him to show you who you are in Christ and to give you strength and to seek wisdom and understanding so that when you are put in the fire, you can withstand it and be those precious stones that don't melt. But if anything, like shine brighter once they come out of it, mm-hmm. because he will do that, but you have to, he's not going to force anything on you, but I, but that's why like the, but the fire is a good thing because it's going to show you where you're weak and, and lead you to the Lord. Yeah. Um, and every time you endure those tests, you come out on the other side with your faith strengthened. Um, and I like what you said too, uh, about not, we don't have to agree with the spirit of fear and even going like thinking back on my own salvation. It wasn't because I was like, Oh, afraid to go to hell. No, I experienced the love of Christ and that convicted me to want to change my ways and live right before him. Um, and so it was his love that ultimately changed me. So I'm, I'm curious to kind of go back to your story a little bit. Like what was that turning point? <laughs> so, uh, so pretty much after, um, I, I got a scholarship. I ran track and cross country in high school. And after my parents got divorced, um, that running became my outlet. Um, I was really, here's, a, here's another testimony to like God's deliverance is, um, I was not free to communicate what was really in my heart. Um, and I feel like as, as a child growing up, anytime that I did, it immediately got shut down. And so I just learned to keep everything internalized and that there was no safety in expressing myself, um, especially the vulnerable parts of myself or the not perfect parts of myself. And so I needed to project this image that was, accomplished that was, you know, following everything that I was supposed to and successful. And so I I had this image on the outside and then on the inside, I was completely broken. Um, I was depressed. Like, and I, and I, any time that I even began to open up to somebody, like it broke me down and I could never look at anybody in the eyes when I was, when I was mad or when I was sad, I could not look you in the eyes. Like I was so full of shame that I was even feeling this way that I couldn't like look at anybody if, if we were talking about anything like that. And so I was really this different person than I am now. And, uh, I went, I got a scholarship to run cross country at BYU Hawaii. So the Mormon um, university in Hawaii sponsored university in Hawaii. And I thought that going there, that would help me with what I was feeling because, you know, during this time, like I'm still going to church. um, But, and, and even in high school, uh, you, don't have to, but you kind of have to go to this program called seminary where basically, um, before you go to school, you go to your church building and basically have like scripture study, like church before school. Um, so I would have to wake up at like, like 5am to get ready to go to seminary. And like, and I just was, 
I was so exhausted, like emotionally and then also physically because I'm pouring myself into this sport because now this sport became my identity. It became like what I needed. Um, and it, it helped me in the beginning, but then like I needed to be the best at it in order to feel good about myself. And so I pushed and I pushed and I pushed to become the best. And so I'm like physically exhausted because I'm training so hard. I'm, and I'm waking up to go to church and then do a full day of school and then three hours of practice afterwards. And then everything that I have to do for like schoolwork after, and just repeat that day after day, after day, after day, I was so exhausted and I didn't feel like any closer to God. I didn't want to do any of these things. So none of these things that I was doing, like when it came to church were really out of a desire of like wanting to, but like I had to. Yeah. And um, like my, I think it was like my junior or senior year. Um, cause my dad was, was pretty much making me go to seminary. Like he arranged for people to come pick me up from my mom's house. Cause I, I lived with my mom after they got divorced. Um, so he would arrange for people to come pick me up to take me to seminary. Um, and I told him like, finally I, I was so done my junior or senior year, I was like, I don't want to go anymore. I'm not going. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I stopped and, uh, I just felt like going, I was like, I'm going to apply to BYU because I, I still believed that the church was true. Um, I didn't, cause like I said, uh, after I got baptized, I didn't really have any of those experiences anymore. And so to me in my mind, that meant like, Oh, this was God's way of showing me like that this is true. And so I have in it. Um, but like, there was no life in it and there was no life in me because of it. But again, I just really hadn't been exposed to anything else. And so, um, nobody ever, um, and like I dated a, a Christian guy in high school. Um, and, but like nobody ever shared the gospel with me. Um, I never went to a, another like Christian church. So I didn't even have an understanding of how it was different. And in my mind, like, because we're told in the church that we do believe in the Bible and we're told like, we do believe in Jesus and like, we are Christian. Yeah. I just, the the way I understood it is like, we have more information than even Christians do. Yeah. So um, they're at like an elementary level of understanding when it comes to Christianity. And we're at like a college understanding. So yeah. like to go down would be, that's, that's the way it is. I think mentally to Mormons is like, they would never go from like leave Mormonism wow. to Christianity initially if they, if they never understood it because they think that they've understood it the whole time. You know, that's how I felt when I was in the new age too. I was very, uh, spirit. I had a spiritual superiority complex mm -hmm. to, to the Christians for sure. So I can, I can kind of relate to that a little bit. And plus, um, like if they, if Mormons believe that the book of Mormon came after, and then they have all this extra information that we have yet to accept as truth, then I could see where that belief would come in that um, they think that they know more. Yeah. And so 
So I got accepted to BYU Hawaii. And to me, like that was a sign that like I'm meant to go there. And this is where God's really going to bring me breakthrough. And I'm, I just need to kind of get away from all the drama and, and experience God at, at this school. And so I go there. Um, and the way that like BYUs are set up is, is you have to follow an honor code. And there are, again, a lot of rules, which I was fine with. Like, that's basically how I was raised to live. Um, but because it was all the way in Hawaii, like I couldn't take my car. Um, and the, where the school is at, it's on a very, very small island. So like, there's really not anything around. Um, and to get to like any near city, you have to take the bus, which takes forever because the speed limit in Hawaii is really slow. Mm -hmm. So are really like in this bubble there. And what's even funny is uh, they asked me to be a gospel doctrines teacher in the Sunday school um, for my college ward. And so um, not only like was I now like going to BYU, but now I'm like a, a teacher of Sunday school lessons. Wow. Um, and I like performed in the talent show. So again, like I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing and I still am so dead. And I, I had actually uh, developed, um, I started developing like eating disorders uh, in high school and it just got even worse once I was at this, this university and I was so depressed and I would, I would go walk on the beach and just like cry out to God all the time. Um, and I just feel so alone yeah. and like trapped. And so after my first year there, I was like, I can't take this anymore. Like, um, and, and the other thing is the Mormon church encourages, uh, it's young people to get married uh, almost like as, as early as you can. Like once the men get back from their missions, like men are pretty much expected to serve a two year mission for the church. I think they've lessened the time now and like the age that you can go, um, officially. But like back when I was in college, it was like the young men go when they're 19 and they serve for two years and women can, if they want to, it's not necessarily, uh, pushed on, women to do it as much as it is for the men. Um, and women, if you want to do that, it's 20, it was 21 years old. They've, they've lowered the ages now and you serve for 18 months. So all of my really close friends that I've made up to that point are like, if they're the guys, like they're getting ready to go on missions. And my girlfriends are all getting married to returned missionaries when they're like, 18, 19 years old. So, and they're getting married, you know, to these guys who've just returned from their missions who are like anywhere from like 21 to 23. Um, and so it's really encouraged to get married, basically like young men after you get back from your mission and for women, for you to marry a returned missionary. I'm going to take a quick second here to tell you about Raised and Redeemed Merch. I somehow end up in my bright pink Raised and Redeemed crew neck nearly every day because it's so comfy and I love to tell the world that I have been raised and redeemed in Jesus' name and wearing something that says that is a great conversation starter. Not only do we have crew necks, but we also have t-shirts, hoodies, cropped hoodies, 
mugs, stickers, socks, and more. You can either follow the link titled Raised and Redeemed Merch in the comment section of wherever you're listening, click the link in any of my social media bios, or go to raisedandredeemed.creator.spring.com, and that is raised and spelled out A-N-D, redeemed.creator.spring.com to order yours and support the show today. Okay, so the way that I'm understanding this story so far is that you were super devout. Like mm-hmm. from 12 years old, you're already being recognized for essentially being like a good Mormon. And then you go to university and you continue to have that sort of affirmation. You're in leadership positions. Like you're not just some lukewarm person in the faith just going by what your parents said. Like you were super in it, super involved and recognized by the leadership for that as well. So I'm excited to hear what the turning point is. Um, Mm -hmm. It had to have been something extreme that happened for you to um, come out of all of that. Yeah. And so fast forwarding, basically, like I leave the school after my first year, because I know like the pressure to get married is just really heavy. And I didn't want to get into marriage too quickly because of like going through my parents' divorce. I just wanted to really make sure that when I got married, I wasn't going to just make a a hasty decision. And I also didn't like the pressure of that. And so um, I left and I just moved back home to California. Um, And I was still going to the Mormon church there. And at first, like I was going to the family ward Um, Because when you're like a young adult, they actually have a, they call their church buildings wards. Um, So they have a different ward for young adults that are single to like basically try to get them all connected to get married. And I didn't want to do that. So I was still going to the family ward, but like I'd left all my friends from college and any, pretty much most of the friends that I had back home, like they had all gone off. And so again, like I'm alone. I'm isolated and I'm not necessarily at that point the type of person that really like is outgoing in the sense of opening up to people to create new friendships yeah um eventually I do go to the to the like youth ward just to try to be around more people that are my age um and I get put into another leadership position there to teach Sunday school Mm -hmm. so it's like cycle is pretty much just continuing. And I actually got engaged when I was like 21 to a guy that I had met in my ward, but it was a really bad toxic relationship. Um, and and he pretty much like lied and manipulated me and a lot of things about like who he was and, Mm -hmm. and his life. He was involved in some shady stuff. Um, but it really was like the first love of my life Mm -hmm. and God saved me from that relationship and literally uh like it was a relationship that tore me apart from my family so like I was now even more disconnected from my family than I previously was because of this relationship um but it was like the only the only time I really felt loved by somebody so I fought for that relationship more than I should have and again I was just a very weak person on the inside. And so 
So I really allowed what, what I felt like was his love for me to cloud my better judgment. And God literally stepped in and saved me from continuing that relationship because we were going to get married. And like my family had pretty much like abandoned me at that point, cut me off and I didn't have close friends. So like he was all that I had and he got arrested two weeks before we were about to get married. Wow. Intervention. Yeah. Major intervention. Thank I thank God all the time for that because he knew like, and I, and I think deep down I knew like that this was not a healthy thing and that like, I think I wanted it to work out so badly, but deep down I also knew that there were just harmful things in this relationship that I just didn't have a voice in and I didn't know how to break free from it. And I didn't have any support around me really aside from, from him and his family. So I just really felt stuck and I felt like I had to make this work. And so obviously at the time I was just devastated that this had happened. And I was angry at God at the time for doing this. I'm like, why don't you just help him instead? And like, why are you like torturing me even yeah. more. So I was so angry at God at that point. And like, I was, I was shamed in my church. I like was looked down on now by my family. And it was just such a like dark period of my life that I was like, God, I have been doing everything that you told me to do as far as I knew it in my religion. Yeah. And I was like, it has done nothing for me. And there were also things that I started learning in the church that they were doing that I was like, that doesn't seem like the character of God to do that. Or it, that doesn't seem like that's God, but I didn't know any different. And so I started to now question the validity of the church for really the first time, like mm. started because they have their own like modern day prophet and apostles that lead the church now. So they believe that like they have a true prophet who speaks to God now, just like he did in the Bible. And this person is infallible. Pretty much. I mean, they, they now will say like, Oh, well, they're not perfect men. Um, and like, they can still make mistakes and speak as a man, but like you were commanded to follow the prophet. And so when I, when I started being met with things that I knew were contrary to God's heart that was coming through down the church leadership line, it made me start questioning the validity of the leadership of the church for them to be the only true church and to they're the only ones who speak and get revelation from God. But then it also like the the pain and the shame and the condemnation that I was feeling because of this like life system that I had devoted myself to. I was just like, I've had enough. I'm done. I was like, God, either if this is who you are, like, and this, if this is your true church, like, I guess I'm done. Like I've, I've tried and I can't do it anymore. And so that's what led to your being agnostic, right? right. But I was like, but I couldn't deny that there was something Mm -hmm. more spiritual, greater and outside of ourselves because of the, the traumatic 
spiritual oppression I'd faced as a kid. And so I was like, if that's real, if like demons and spirits are real, like there has to be a God. Yeah. Um, I was just like, convinced me too. I was like, okay, if this is real, he has to be real too. Right. And I was just like, at that point I came to the belief that like, yes, I believe there's a God, but I don't believe he's like the Mormon church. Yeah. And I, but I don't believe that anybody can really know who God is. Mm -hmm. And that's why I took more of the agnostic position of like, it's all about just being a good person and um, honoring what you think is right in your life and treating people kindly and, and doing what you think, but not necessarily saying that like, you know, what is absolute truth because nobody can know that. And, um, I honestly just decided to stop placing God as a major focus in my life and to really now start diving into like, what is it that's going to make me happy? What is it that's going to like help heal my trauma, so to speak. And so that's where I just really, so I just like completely left the Mormon church, didn't want to get into any type of religion, especially like structured Christianity, nothing like that. Cause again, like I believed I had already been Christian and like done it to a magnified extent and it didn't work for me and I wasn't happy. So why would I like, what did you go into next? What were the other ways you tried to heal those wounds? So for me, it really, and I, I actually think it's a mercy that I didn't really like become exposed to the new age. Cause I think I would have easily fallen into that. Yeah. Um, but, but pretty much what the devil used to, to still keep me entrapped, but in the illusion that like, I'm now free and this is the way that I'm going to heal myself was through fitness. Um, because again, that had become an initial healing point for me. Um, but I, because of how weak I felt inside, like it made me feel better to become more physically strong and like to be a physical, like dominant, strong person. Yeah. Who can like, beat the boys and have like the fastest time and lift this and do that. And to become like a pillar of like physical dominance. Yeah. So if we, if we don't have God, like we're going to be putting something in that God role, it's, it's always going to be something. So I don't, I think it's Jordan Peterson that says that he's like, Oh, well you don't believe in God, but that means something else has become your God because we're, we're all always doing that. So it seems like this became that for yeah. a while. Yeah, so so fitness really became my god and of course I didn't see it like that at the time, but it's it's all I really thought about like it's what I was consumed with and but the way that it kept me entrapped was because it was my identity, I I would have still this like crippling anxiety before any like workout or especially like if it's a competition, like everything is writing on this. And so like, I was just still bound yeah. by like what's supposed to help me heal and what's supposed to help me be 
free and better, I'm still bound to these negative things because if I don't do it right, then again, I'm, I'm failing and I'm not, I'm not accomplishing what I want. Um, and so I had to train for multiple hours a day. I had to eat a certain way. I had to like do this. And then I like had to mentally like strategize how I'm going to like, it was, it was everything. So it was very exhausting still in in that sense. Yeah. And I know like with the new age, it's, it's the same thing. You're constantly needing to, to stick to your, your healing methods and to constantly be doing this inner child work and constantly, you know, doing the next thing. And you're never really healed because only Jesus completely heals. And so you it's have to chase chase. And that's the thing with the devil is that even if he gives you something, you're still on a leash and like, you have to keep going after it and it's never long lasting. So like for me, like, yeah, I felt peace when I was like, like working out and like afterwards and like with friends and community and stuff. But, and like when I, when I finished and I did the best and was proud of myself and others were proud of me, but when, when it was done, like I was still left with everything inside. So the turning point for me was, and I really hope I don't cry because I tend to when I share this story, was so at this time, me and my husband were in Texas and there was a friend from the gym there that I became close friends with and she was really a strong Christian woman um, and like she knew the Lord truly and I, I got to see, have access to her life to see you know, how she lived it out. And, uh, her, so her first husband was a police officer and he was unfortunately killed in the line of duty and they had two kids together. And then, so like years later when I meet her, um, so she's gotten remarried and she and her like now husband wanted to have another child together. And they really struggled for a long time to get pregnant and then when they finally did get pregnant, their daughter was diagnosed with this very rare chromosomal disorder that the doctors basically told her, like, your child is not going to make it full term. And if she does, she's she's not going to live for for very long. Like it will it will most likely be a couple hours and like she will she will pass. And that's exactly like what happened. She was, she was able to be born, but then died shortly after. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember this made a big impact to me because at the time that this had happened, um, me and my husband, we were now at the time where we're like, we want to start our own family. Um, and I, I even kept it from him, the struggles and the battles that I had had with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness, like God had helped me stop that when me and my husband, my now husband, he really got, God blessed him uh, or blessed me by giving him to me. And I was able to start, start finally healing some of those things just because of the way that he loves me. Like God sent me a man who loves me right. And who loved me in the way that a man should love and care for a woman. And so um, thankfully I still wasn't struggling with that particular struggle anymore, but I had for years and I, and I was so shamed again, like 
another part of my life that I was ashamed of. And I kept it from him um, because I still didn't know how to break down these walls. And so he didn't know anything about that. But when it came time for us to uh, wanting to start a family, it was like those demons came back to me and they were like, you're not, they were speaking this into me. They're like, you're not going to be able to get pregnant or it's going to take a long time for you to like, this is going to be your battle and your struggle. And look at what you've done to your body. At that point, I had worked so hard physically that like hormonally, I, I was not even having like a normal period. I was super, super fit. So like I had no, basically like no body fat. Um, and I put my body under stress constantly. And because of the years that I had had this eating disorder, like I was just telling myself, this isn't going to work out for me. And if it does, like I'm going to miscarry and like how much more pain and shame is that going to add to my life? And like, like on my husband. And so this was really the first time, like, and I saw, like, I told God, like, I see this woman who's my friend who loves you. Like, she's really like the first time I, I encountered somebody who was like, genuinely like loves God. Like I had never really been around anybody who I saw love Jesus the way that she loved Jesus and I, and to, to know how much she had gone through in her life to like lose her husband, first of all, and, and while they have two small kids and then not only that, but then when she like gets remarried for this to happen and now she's lost a daughter and I was just like, I'm not worthy. Like, look what I've done. And again, because I had this whole like worthiness mindset that like, you have to be worthy. You have to be worthy. You have to be worthy. And I was like, I was, I was comfortable not being worthy anymore. And I was like, I'm fine with that. But then here's something that's totally out of my control. And, and I've done it to myself. So I don't deserve to be blessed. And here's this woman who loves you. And she's like, had to go through all this. Like, what even makes me think that I can ask God for something like this? And that's what like, I feel like, my demons were telling me like, you don't even deserve to go to God for this. Like, this is going to be your, your lot to deal with. And I just remember I was like, I can't like God, if you're real and if you can love me and forgive me, and if you will show me who you are, then like, I, I just need to know the, what's the truth, but I need your help. Because this is something I have no control over. This is something I've done to myself. I don't feel worthy to even pray to you. Like I had stopped praying and I never felt comfortable praying the way that like Christians pray because Mormons pray so differently. So it was even like another point of insecurity. Like I don't even know if I'm doing this right. And I was just on my floor by myself, just sobbing before the Lord and asking him in prayer, like the most sincere prayer that I, I think I've ever prayed and asking God just to reveal himself to me because I need his help. And I was like, and I want you to please, please bless me in this because I want to be a mom. And I don't think I'm strong enough to deal with the death of a child. And, and my heart goes out to any 
woman and, and any family who have had to deal with that, because I can only, I can only imagine and knowing like where I was at emotionally and mentally and spiritually, like I did not have the strength to endure that. And to me, I felt like that was what was going to come to me. And I was just like, God, please save me from this. Like, I can't do this anymore. And I'm so scared to even try. And But I want to. But if you're real, like, you need to step in, please. And it was so beautiful because I remember after praying that prayer, like, nothing happened. Nothing major happened. But. Like shortly after that, we got pregnant and we got pregnant with twins. And and like I didn't even know there were there were twins in my family. And like when the nurse asked me that, I was like, no. Um, but I guess my grandma's sister had had twins. So it was in my DNA, but like nobody in my family. And if you know Mormons, like they have big families, they have tons of kids, and so like Somebody in my family before me with as many kids as they have had should have had, I feel like should have had twins. Yeah. And so for God to, to not just like give me a baby, but to give me two, it was like God's way of just showing out big. And when he says like, I will give you a double portion, like I replace your, your ashes for joy. Like, I felt like that was him showing me, like, I heard your prayer and I'm blessing you in abundance with, with this. And it was, it was pretty scary still to like first time around getting pregnant. Like you have no idea what to expect or anything. And then to like, find out, like, not only are you carrying one baby, you're carrying two babies. Yeah. Um, So there was still like anxiety that came with that but I started pressing into God a lot more like because of that he started softening my heart and uh, I and I daily I was praying and like thanking him for this blessing but also praying that like his hand would just be with my kids for them to be healthy and everything just to go smoothly and so when I I deliver like everything goes perfectly like my kids are born five minutes apart and they're they're healthy um but my son Liam my fr- who came out first so he's 5 minutes older so he's technically the firstborn um there there was a scare like in the NICU where like he he couldn't breathe and like the nurses couldn't get him to breathe and it and it just so happened like the doctor who was not always at the hospital like happened to be there and was able to to revive him and I was blessed to be able to stay in a room like next to Nikki so God was providing all of these things and then my son he was also when we took him to like his first pediatrician appointment um they they saw signs of that were indicative of uh, spina bifida and so um, they're like okay we need him to get these x-rays and like every time that we would go get him checked up they're like yeah we still see these these cysts on his spine and this and that so when he's six months old because that's the earliest that we can do it to put him under uh he needs to get an mri so we can see really the the severity of things and know how to get him early intervention so um here is this like pronunciation over my son that like even though he's okay he's going to have to deal with this and 
I just, I was like, God, I was like, I don't believe that you gave me these kids as, as a blessing from your heart to now have something be wrong with my son. And so I was like, I'm going to be praying against this and I'm going to be asking everyone else that I know to be praying that he is healed from this. (laughs) Um, And so when six months comes up and like his MRI is scheduled, I remember like I wake up that morning and I just have so much peace. So he gets the MRI and then we get the notes back and the doctors said that he is remarkably unremarkable. Basically meaning like with everything that they had seen in the x-rays and like the checkups and the notes, like there should have been more that showed up, but like he was completely normal. They're like, everything that was there is now gone. Like he's, his spine is, is normal. So it's remarkable that there's nothing wrong with him. Yeah. And I just remember, I was like, that's, that's right. Like I, God, God did it. What really, really woke me up to the, the power and the truth of Jesus was, so my kids have been born and like my heart is softening towards the Lord again. And I'm starting to like, just pray, but I hadn't read the Bible. And I remember like, I wanted to now. And so I told my husband, I was like, I've never read the Bible for myself, like just in its entirety. I've, I've, you know, read bits and pieces and like in the church manuals from when I would teach in Sunday school, like they pretty much give you a a lesson plan and a layout of like what to read and like how to fit it within the context. So it was never just purely me studying it to, to know what it said, but always for like a purpose of teaching a lesson or this or that. So I was like, I, I want to know what it actually says and see what's the difference between what I grew up learning and, and flush out just like what I know that's from, from Mormonism. And then what does this say? Yeah. And was your husband, did he come from any kind of religious background? Yeah. So my husband, uh, he actually has a very, very strong Christian family. Like he comes from an amazing Christian family. Um, but like when we met, he, he, he and I pretty much kind of had similar walks where like we were both very, um, in it and then overwhelmed and exhausted and left. And so we met like in the times of our lives where like, we're just not seeking God, but like we, I think that's why like God put us together because he was going to bring us, bring us back. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, like, my husband's not necessarily like on on this trajectory, but I'm having this like yeah. this awakening so right now. The desire first to start mm-hmm. reading the Bible. Yeah, and so um, so I asked him uh, to get me one, and uh, so he gets me a Bible, and I just start. I, and I told God, I was like, okay you need to tell me what this means and you need to make this make sense for me because like, I think, I think a lot of people get overwhelmed with the idea of reading the Bible and they don't think that they're going to be able to comprehend it unless they have somebody with like more knowledge and Mm -hmm. accolades and authority to teach on it, to tell them what it means. Yeah. Um, but I was just of the mindset that like, okay, if this is the truth and if this is your word, God, then 
I'm not listening. I'm done listening to other people. Like mm -hmm. I'm just going to listen to you. So if this is you, you need to make it make sense for me and you need to show me that it's you. Um, and at this point he so has been showing up like those miracles. That's, that's amazing. So like you said, your heart has been softening to him. You're seeing how he's answering your prayer. So of course, like you would have this sort of courage to step out and be like, okay, God, like make this make sense for me. Yeah, absolutely. So like God's really just showing up and showing out for me now <laughs> that, that I've been through this walk. Um, and so I start just, I'm like, I'm just going to start in the new Testament and from like the very beginning of Matthew and read it all the way to revelation, just in order. I was like, that's what I'm going to do God. And so I did that. And as I started doing that, it was, it was wild to me because it was like, I would read it and have, I'd be like, so emotionally engaged with the word. And it was like, it really did come alive for me. And I had understanding of what it meant. And then I was also able to see how much it contrasted what I had believed and been taught mm -hmm. in the church. And, and it was shocking to me, like reading through the new Testament and seeing the Pharisees and like the teachers of the law and what it was that they believed and what it was that like they were telling people they needed to do to, to please God. Yeah. And then what Jesus and like the, the disciples then were revealing. And it was like, oh my gosh, like the, the way I've been living my life has been like the way of the Pharisee yes. understanding. And like here, Jesus is like telling them the complete opposite because they've been looking at through the lens of God's law, but not through God's heart mm -hmm. and is the word revealed. And now it's not like he's, he's, going against the law because Jesus fulfills the law. So he's not anti-law, but he's revealing the law of God with the life and the heart and the spirit of love that the Pharisees didn't have and they didn't understand. And like, that's why they were opposed to him because he was breaking down their, their structures, their religious structures yeah. and, and, showing these people who were unworthy in the eyes of the Pharisee and who were kept out of the temple. And, and Jesus was drawing those people near to him and he was speaking life into those people and he was redeeming those people and condemning the Pharisees for treating them the way that they had and, and keeping them away from God in a sense. So, and so like he started to do this for you as well. Absolutely. And so like, I just started to fall in love with Jesus. And it, it really, the big difference for me too, was coming to the understanding that Jesus is God in the flesh. Because in my Mormon understanding, like God is a person who has a body and he's the father of Jesus and Jesus is literally his son. And so like Jesus is like my brother, but I never felt like never felt close and connected to Jesus um, in the Mormon church. Um, so they don't see him as savior by any means. I mean, they do in the sense that like, Oh, they believe that Jesus died for 
everyone to have basically another life after this life. Okay. Um, and so in that sense, everybody is, is saved, but then your works are what determine if you make glory, much glory you receive in the next life, which level of heaven you go to. Right. So does everybody go to heaven? You're just in different levels. Right. There's not really necessarily a, a hell like, like the Bible teaches. Um, so they pretty much believe like for the most part, everyone will go to the lowest level. Um, the terrestrial, it's called the terrestrial kingdom. There's the terrestrial, the telestial and the celestial. And so basically like everybody gets to go to at least the lowest level of heaven. Um, and, and then, uh, from there on, like if you were I, like for me, I would probably be categorized in. Well, I don't know because I'm an ex-Mormon, so that's different. But like somebody who's uh, a good Christian um, gets to go to like, but they just didn't have the truth and they didn't do the temple work and all that stuff. So they can't go to the highest one. Mm-hmm. They would be in like the second level of heaven and stuff. So so I just there was so the focus is totally different. And what I realized was that in Mormonism, the focus is always on me. And it's always on like what I'm going to gain as a reward for my obedience. Yeah. Um, God, and it, and essentially it's for like my own exaltation and my own glory and my family. It's, it's me. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not to be with Jesus because they also believe that, that, God and and Jesus only reside in the celestial kingdom, but then also that like if you go through the the processes of exaltation, then you yourself can become a god and you can create. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get into that later. But so my understanding now, as I'm reading the Bible, is that like John four twenty four says, God is spirit. So speaking of the Father. God is spirit. So, and it started to make sense to me because God is not limited by anything. He's outside of his creation. He's outside of anything that can physically constrain him. He's not bound by time, space, or matter. So if he had a body, he would be limited by that physical body of flesh bone. A body can't be in two places at once, but the God of the Bible is, is everywhere. He's omnipresent and he's omniscient. And that is not the God of Mormonism because he has a body. He cannot, he cannot hear all things at once. He cannot be everywhere at once, but spirit can. And that's what God is. God is spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, Mom, he- we're starting to run out of time and <laughs> There's so much, there's so much. And so I feel like people do need to follow you on TikTok so they can yeah. hear more, especially if they're coming from the Mormon church um, and trying to better understand Jesus and the Christian faith. What is your at handle so people can follow you there? Oh, let me see if I even remember. I, I believe it's uh, Monica War 3. So Monica, M-O-N-I-C-A, and then W-A-R-R-3. Okay. Okay, perfect. And then just to like conclude this, um, 
I want to ask you, A, to pray for everybody. We do have, we're down to three minutes here, not to rush you. If there is anything else that you wanted to add before that, and then you could jump into um, Mm. praying for everybody. Yeah. So I'll just quickly say, as as I'm in this journey, I actually start receiving all the demonic oppression that I had as a kid. It all comes back to me, the sleep paralysis, the hauntings in our house. And I, I see a demon one night as I'm in sleep paralysis and I can't even speak, but in my mind now I've, I've been drawing close to Jesus. And so I start to speak in my mind, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And finally my mouth opens and I'm able to whisper it. And it was like not, nothing that I saw visually, but like this force happened and this demon leaves at the name of Jesus and it never happens again. And I start to realize Jesus is real. Like he's not just this person in a book or a person that people have talked about throughout time and different religions, but he's a real person and the spiritual realm is real. Demons are real. Satan is real, but God is real. And he has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ and that God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and that he is the visible image of the invisible God as Colossians 1.15 says. And so I started to just pour into Jesus. And as I've done that, I've developed a real relationship with a real person who, who is always with us. And so I'm just going to pray right now, Father, that anyone who is hearing these words that Holy Spirit, you are drawing their hearts and you are bringing them into your love in spirit and in truth, Father. And I pray for any deception and any strongholds that have been in their life, whether by their own hands or the hands of their family and generations, Lord, I pray that you break those ties and those connections off in Jesus' name and that Holy Spirit, you give them new eyes to see and a new revelation and outpouring of your love and your presence and the reality of your truth, the reality of how much you love us and that you are real, you are God. And Jesus, we praise your name and thank you for saving me. I pray that you save others through through my words and that they've been pleasing to you, God. And I thank you, Jesus. In your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, I'd love to have you leave a review, share it with a friend, and even connect with me on other platforms. It's at Michaela Nikolenko on Instagram and TikTok. And we also have an at Raised and Redeemed Instagram account too. I look forward to connecting with you there. Until next time, stay well and God bless you.